I don't know whether you, when you think of God the Father, you start with your own father, or if you think about uh, Jesus, you think of someone you know, or I don't know. We all, whenever we think of God, we have to start somewhere, and we start with our humanity, and we think about God being, uh, in some way, we think in pictures that we're used to. We think of, you know, how, you know, how big is God? And we think, well, how do you measure God? You know, how, how big is big? If we were to think about God's love, we think about the love that we know and we understand, which comes from humans. You know, when, we, when, we, so when we're thinking about God in, the, in this series, which is really about God, um, we're so limited and it's so challenging for us that we need the Holy Spirit to come and open up our eyes. Amen. So that's our prayer, really, and I think we've got the wonderful creation. We could go now and walk around the woods, if that's your kind of thing. We could go and look at various things. We was hearing this morning just someone talking about how they saw something in creation, and it just blessed them, and we can, uh, we can, we can look, we can find various pictures, but nothing will ever come close to who God is. And, uh, and this is our challenge as, as human beings, isn't it? It's like, I want to know God. And yet, I'm starting from a point where I'm aware of my humanity. I'm aware of my frame of reference. I'm aware that all I have are things that, if, if for instance, if I could isolate, um, what's the smallest thing we know of, a neutron or a proton? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. It's a really, really small thing. If I could hold it, in my hand and say, now let's look at the whole universe and look at the difference in size between this neutron or this atom and then look at the whole expanse of the universe. We will never understand, it will never come close to the greatness and the largeness of God. I mean, we can't measure God, even terms like size and height and depth. We can't use those words for God because God is beyond space. Is beyond time. We can't, when we think about the everlasting love of God, God doesn't last, he is. How can he be everlasting? They're words that we have to use because we don't understand the word infinite. When we think of, when I think of infinite, I think of everlasting, it's time. Infinite is outside of time. How on earth are we going to get through this this morning? When we think about this, this God of ours. And God is so, um, the word is transcendent. So completely different, so completely removed, so um, other than us. He is, he is incomparable. And this is the God that we, that we know. It said, Paul says to Timothy, to the, of God, the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. And Solomon said when he was tasked to build the temple, he said, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. God doesn't get contained in things. And this is the great mystery that we're going to look at this morning. And I hope you'd be willing to kind of stretch your imagination. Maybe now just think in your mind 
go to the edge of the universe in your mind and keep going and keep going and we will never even get to the surface of God if he has a surface. I haven't spoke for a while. I've had a lot of time to think about this and it doesn't get clearer. But God has revealed himself And when we think about the revelation of God, the revealing of God is contained in this book. Before this book was uh, brought together, it was was handed down verbally to the great prophets, to the kings, to the scribes, to the poets, and and all would write down these various things, and we'd read them, and, and through them we can read stuff and say, this is God, and it's God revealing himself through his word. And then Jesus comes along, God revealed as a human, a fully human yet fully God. And then we read, we get to read, but people actually got to touch him and and talk with him and hear him. And and God revealed as this man. And then we had the apostles and they wrote about Jesus. They taught us about Jesus. And then um, at the very end, we have this great vision of revelation and, and everything of God is revealed in here. But this is not all of God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us. There are secret things we never know about. And will we ever know, even in eternity, will we ever get to the very end of who God is? Will we understand in an instant, or we never understand throughout the whole of eternity? I have no idea what that's going to be like. But... I remember someone saying once years ago to me, oh, I wouldn't want to go to heaven. I'd get bored after about 10,000 years. (laughs) And it just goes to show we can only think in time. We think in time and knowledge and how on earth are we going to understand this God who is so uh, above and beyond us, the transcendence of God. He is beyond the the, the universe. We cannot measure him and everything we know about God, we will never come close to knowing God in his fullness. And when we read in the Bible, when we read people like we heard last week of Gideon and there are others, there are, um, Jacob was another, Samson's father, if you know the story of Samson, they had something in common. And they said this, they, um, as we heard last week about Gideon, he said, he said uh, I can't remember exact words, but these are the words of Isaiah when he saw God. <laughs> He said, woe is me. And and Gideon cried out, if you remember, Tim speaking last week, in utter fear, he said, I've seen God, I will surely die. Not only is this God invisible, hidden, but if you see him, whatever that means, we will surely die, was what the old prophets would believe. And it is true, because God never changes. But Jesus came. Hebrews says he is the manifest, or does it say he is the uh, radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. God is a consuming fire, the Bible tells us. And the people of old, when they come under the presence of God, they feared for themselves because God is a consuming fire. Do we really know this God? Do I look in my heart and I say, who is this God that I know? Is he a a guy with a beard who sits in the cloud with people playing harps? Does he have a big finger pointing down, if you remember those adverts? 
But we want to know God, don't we? We want to know the invisible God. We want to know the God who is beyond everything. But yet he is so separate to us. It's what the Bible teaches us. That God is transcendent. And he is holy. He is a consuming fire. And this morning, I don't know what your experience of this morning, but when you come into the presence of God, something in me is so warm to him. So I just love being in his presence. And I don't know why I cry. It just sometimes, I, you know, I don't know why. Uh, but God is so real. And this is the other thing about the imminence of God. The uh, transcendence of God. God is also imminent, which basically means God is present. God didn't just create the world at the beginning and then, like a clock, wind it up and just let it go and then just turn his back and walk away and just let things go. All we sung about this morning is about the imminence of God, that God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that would die on the cross for me because he knew that he loved me and I was unlovable and I still am unlovable. It's God has chosen to love me and I don't want to offend you, but you're the same. You're unlovable as well. So we're all in the same place, amen? Uh, but God is so close to us, so intimate. Jesus came in that verse I read out, it says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's so separate, but yet so imminent, so close, so present, so involved. So involved that he would give himself for us. He's a relational God. He's a God of relationship. I don't know what you know about God or what you've been taught about God because some people are taught that God stands afar with a big stick and he just wants to whack us whenever we step out of line. But my God is my father and he's my friend. The God of the universe is my friend. What is that all about? Oh man, thank you, Lord. Should we just take a moment while I just... (laughs) This is the great mystery that God is both transcendent and imminent. Not imminent in terms of time, immanent. I learned that one this week. If we could grasp the greatness of God, if we would allow our imagination to just keep going and going and going, and then whenever we need to think about God, we know that we are not even touching the surface. What a, you know, I don't. And this this name of God is so important that we're doing this morning. It's Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. And we find it in Ezekiel, and Ezekiel... Um, you have to go through the whole book, so I'm just going to sort of run through it. I'll, we can throw the verses up, but um, I think let's really get to the point, and you can, read, you can read it when you get back, but maybe, Dave, you can throw it up now and then if you want. But Ezekiel has this picture. Do you want to throw that up, actually, Dave? I don't know if you can see this. Can you see that? Uh, Steve, do you want to just turn? Um, I just want to show, this is an artist's impression. This is nothing like what Ezekiel saw because Ezekiel didn't even know what he saw. You can read this in Ezekiel chapter 1, but Ezekiel was this priest. He'd been taken away in captivity um, into Babylon and he's sitting by this canal called the the Sheba Canal 
and he sees this picture and this crazy wheels with eyes in it and wheels within wheels and angels with four faces and wings touching and the sound of a mighty storm coming. Fire is there and then the radiance of the glory of God and this amazing picture, um, the Spirit teaches Ezekiel and says, the glory of God has come. And this was what he could only get down into words. It was like this, it was like that. And that's just someone's view. Um, it doesn't do it justice. And there was this amazing... But the reason what I'm saying is, is that this is the thing with God. He's transcendent. The God that, that we serve... I don't know whether... Something, you can take it down now, Dave, thanks. I don't know whether you've at time... It's been helpful to you when you've gone into a difficult situation you think, I'm so glad that God is like this seven-foot guy standing behind me. And that's kind of helped us, but God... And this is what Ezekiel saw, the glory of God. The glory of God is this expression, this manifestation, this revealing, this physical revealing of God's significance of his wonder, of his awesome nature was revealed. And we see this story of Ezekiel and, and how God takes him and he sees, this is in chapter 8 if you want to write these things down, um, Ezekiel is taken from Babylon in the spirit and he sees Jerusalem and he goes into the temple and in the temple God shows him, they're worshipping other gods, they've denied me, they've turned their back on me. And they're worshipping this God. The women are worshipping this um, female God. The men are worshipping this God. And they're sacrificing their children to Satan. He didn't use the word Satan, but that's the end. Right in the temple. And then the glory of God, and these wheels start whirring, and the glory of God just rises up, and then it goes and sits in another place. And then God shows him and, um, judgment. And then again he sees the glory of God move again to the east towards Babylon and sits on a mountain. And then again the glory of God moves again and the greatest tragedy of this, and this is where we need to start thinking about this as a church, they didn't even notice that God had gone. The glory of God was there, was, let me tell you a story prior to that. God says to them, Go into the promised land. There's milk flowing with milk and honey. Go take it. I'll be with you. you um, I'll be, or go. There's wonderful things here. And they cried out to God through Moses and said, we won't go unless you go with us, God. We won't go into all these wonderful things, all these great blessings, unless the presence of God is with us. And now this same nation hasn't even noticed when God has gone. I wonder how many churches or how many people in church won't even notice the presence of God. What if in this church, God forbid, we got so caught up in cafes and community work and all these wonderful things and we all celebrated that we had, didn't have enough chairs and lots of people coming, we had great music and great songs and God had left and not one person noticed. What a tragedy and it happens. And this is what it happened to them, that God left and people didn't notice. But God gives hope, and this is Ezekiel 11, 19 to 20. He says, I'm paraphrasing, have hope because one day 
I will give them one heart and a new spirit. This is 19 to 20, Dave, if you want to put it up. A new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And a bit later on in verse 24, and the spirit lifted me up and brought me in the vision by the spirit of God into Chaldean, to Babylon, to the exiles. In other words, at that point, God had gone. He had left the church and no one noticed, but he left this thing. But one day, I'm going to put a heart in people and they're going to feel me. They're going to know me. I'm going to write stuff on their hearts and they're going to know me and I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. What a wonderful promise. In verse 40, uh, chapter 43, verse 2, Behold, the glory of God of Israel was coming. He was coming back. And in chapter 40, we won't go into it, we read that God creates a new city, a new place, and he doesn't have a name, this city. It's not, he's not coming back to Jerusalem, but he creates this new city, and in this city is a temple, and God starts to come back. And, and uh, uh, we read Ezekiel has this vision of this city. He sees this wonderful city in this temple, and then out he sees this great, all these four wheels and uh, the same exact vision, the glory of God he sees coming. And this comes through the sky, as it were, and it sits on the temple, and God has returned. But what is this city? It wasn't Jerusalem. And it says that God came, and there was a river that flowed out of the sanctuary. Water was flowing down, and it poured into the sea, and this fresh water made the sea fresh. It was a place where God was moving, where the Spirit of God was moving. It said trees were growing either side of this river and the leaves of the trees would be for the healing of the nations. In other words, this place would be a place where God dwells and out of it will flow the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing change, bringing life, bringing healing to the nations. I wanna, there are many debates about what this temple is. Some believe it's going to be a new temple, but I don't. There are many people, and myself included, that believe that this temple is something very special. The very last verse in Ezekiel says this, and the name of that city from that time on shall be, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. God gave his name to this place. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. I want to tell us this morning briefly that this city is the church. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know, talking to, talking plurally, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple, church. Again in 2 Corinthians 6.16, we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
Paul goes on in Ephesians as well. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We all being built together that God may dwell in us. And this is the great mystery. He dwells in me, he dwells in you, but he dwells in us, his, his temple, his church. And in this temple, Ezekiel tells us, there's a new priesthood. And you can look in Hebrews where it talks about we have a high priest. His name is Jesus. And it says that in the, um, uh, 1 Peter, it says that we are a royal priesthood. You can look at these things. We could go into detail about it, but you, you, I want to get the heart of this across. God has promised to dwell with his people. The glory of God left the temple because of idolatry and rebellion, but God, this is in Ezekiel as well, this is what he says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If you think I've repeated myself, that is two separate bits in Ezekiel. God will fill us with his spirit. When Ezekiel saw the glory of God coming, it says there was like it came in a storm, like a rushing wind and fire and this great picture. And then my mind goes to Acts chapter 2. If you've ever read Acts 2, there was this small group of people, the believers, the followers of Jesus, coming into this upper room. And Jesus said to them, wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Remember, it had been promised by Ezekiel. The Spirit of God is going to come, is going to dwell within us. And there they are praying. And I don't know over time whether, how many there was in the end. I think it was 120, but it's, there were 500 believers when they started. There were 120 in that upper room. And then there was the rushing of a mighty wind. You know, remember this, many of us. A rushing of the mighty wind. And then the uh, tongues of fire um, were seen on their heads. I don't know whether it's prophetically or physically or whatever. But wind, fire, the Spirit came, the glory of God came upon the church and filled the temple. And they went out there completely changed. And what did they do? They went out there amongst the nations... You could look at this in Acts chapter 2. It's a wonderful thing where God fills his people. And just like in Ezekiel, the river of God, the, the love and the spirit and the flowing of God goes out into that community. And the leaves of the hill for the healing of the nations. And if you know the story, there are many nations, just like there are many nations in this room right now. That God is flowing out of his church with healing for the nations. That's why I believe that it is the temple of the living God is the, is the church, us. Not you on your own alone, us, the church. And we are one part of that great temple. 
So what can we think about this? This great promise of God, that God is there. The Lord is there. The presence of God. The fact that God would be present with us must be our top priority. It must be what we live our lives for. It must be what we live our church lives for. It's great to see the cafe come in to, to all of this. It is wonderful. But without the presence of God, I want nothing to do with it. Honestly. I want people to come in because of that and experience the presence of God. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say the presence of God? Have you felt the moving of God on your life? Have you felt the power of God at times, whether it's in this meeting or elsewhere? Have you felt, do you know what it means to know God, make that your goal. Make that your heart, not to be filled with the knowledge what's in here, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to know the power and the presence of God. That's what I want. We could have a great successful cafe and we mustn't forget the important thing. Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is in your midst. What a wonderful promise. The Lord your God is in your midst. I can say that to this church confidently. The Lord of God is in our midst. Amen? Amen. Isn't this what revival is when the church comes together with this expectation that the presence of God is here? Ah, oh, the thought that people sit in churches without the presence of God. Where they're coming to church out of duty, out of fear, or out of any other kind of reasons, but to know the presence of God. I want people to know the presence of the Lord. And I'm really encouraged when I hear when people come into this place and they say, I don't know, I wasn't expecting anything. I didn't even believe when I came in here and I felt the um, they didn't use this word, the presence of God in the worship time. And I've said it before and I'll probably say it again. But what is your expectation when you come here? Do you come here for the people or for the presence? I know we come for the people as well, but do you come for the presence? Are you coming because it's what you do or are you coming because there's something when the church comes together, the presence of God is in our midst. I wonder whether, and I was listening to someone else's testimony where they had a similar experience like Isaiah did when he saw God and he, he realised, this is what Tim was saying last week, he saw God and he saw his own condition and he cried out in fear. There's something about God we've yet to experience in this church. There's always something about God we've yet to experience. And these old prophets believed this. This is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. That the mountains might quake at your presence. Do we believe in the presence of God like Isaiah did? Do we believe what God can do in this church if we believe that the Lord is there? Jehovah Shammah, he's a promise of his name. He says, I have decided and chosen to be and dwell with my people, the church. 
If we could have that expectation, it says, carries on in 64, that the nations might tremble at your presence when you did awesome things and we did not look, that we did not look for. You came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. There was this um, people praying in the Isle of Lewis in Hebrides. Some of us will know if you know some of the church history. Started with two old ladies, one nearly blind, 85-year-old, the other one who could see but was also 85-year-olds. And they prayed because they realised there were no young people going to church. And they prayed, and they prayed through the night often from, I think it was like 10 till 3 o'clock in the morning. And then others started gathering for prayer. And there was a young man who was in one of the prayer meetings, and he stood up and he prayed this, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And God came down, the room shook. And that island just turned into a great revival called the Hebrides Revival. Is it because he started to believe, the church started to believe that God was in their midst? I don't mean to cry. It's like I'm emotionally manipulating you. But oh, just to think of the, what God could do when the presence of God comes, if we expected him to. If we came to church with the attitude, I need to be at church because the presence of God comes when the church meets. That to me is what the essence of this word is, that we believe in the power and the presence of God because he said so, not because I said so. He even gave his name to it. The Lord is there. And when people come, like, I don't know, the woman of Samaria who said, come see a man. Maybe there'll be people out there. You've got to come to this church because when I went in that church, there was something there that radically changed my mind. And maybe it wasn't the message. Maybe it wasn't the music or whatever it might have been. But it was the presence of God. Because God has promised, he's promised me will be in this church. That's what the word is. It's a promise to you that he will be in this church. Oh, let's have an expectation that God will be in this church. How is it that people we know across the world and even maybe in the UK that go through pain, poverty, persecution, they're willing to give up their lives. Is it because they know the presence of God is the greatest treasure that they will ever have? Oh, isn't it wonderful? Do you know the presence of God? Is there a cry in your heart that says, I want to know more of God? What's your prayer life like? How much are you giving to God that says, God, I'm here. I don't know what to do. I don't know, I, this is me speaking now. I don't know what to do to bring the presence of God down, but to make myself available to God, say, God, I'm here. You could go into the, the, the passage about the jars of clay, I think it's 2 Corinthians 4 or 1 Corinthians 4, where the glory of the, uh, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ dwells in us. Well, I'm just a vessel, Lord. That's what God wants from us. God is here. And out of this place, the river flows. And trees will set up by the side of it and their leaves will be for the healing of the nations. There's the promise this morning. God, transcendent, God, imminent, has come to dwell in his people. The presence of God, the power of his being is here in this place. A mighty one to save, Zephaniah says, I really want to appeal to you. If you're coming here purely out of religion, please 
Seek in your hearts with the presence of God. Please don't sit in this church without knowing the presence of God. Amen. Shall we, shall we worship and let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for who you are. Your great greatness. Your holiness, Lord, we would all burn, Lord, in your presence if it wasn't for your grace. And I thank you, Lord, that every person in this room, without fail, you have made a way that we may know your presence, that we may know your power, that we may know your love. And Lord, you've made the way that if you said, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that you are Lord, we shall be saved. Lord, I just want to give my life to you afresh again this morning. And say, Lord, that my priority is to be in your presence and to be yours. Lord, and for us as a church, Lord, we pray, may this be the seat of your presence. Whatever we do, Lord, may we seek your presence. And thank you for your promise that the Lord is there. Lord, by the word of your name, claim that this morning. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, will you just minister to our hearts? Will you help us to see these things? Will you give us confidence as we've already been encouraged? Lord, that uh, we can have boldly approached the throne of grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.